Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. The Lord bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hallelujah. It's a good day. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just we ask you, Lord, to show us the way to your blessings, Father. The way to your provision, Lord. The way to pleasing you and the way to holiness, Lord. Lord, uh, bless us with sanctification, Father. We know that nothing is withheld from those who are sanctified, Father. Set apart from this world. Separated from sin unto you, O Lord. Lord, we desire earnestly the holiness of Jesus Christ. We know it was given unto us at the cross. We know that he made that exchange, that reconciliation, and that now we are holy and delivered from this cursed world. And we thank you, Father, for your provision for us, Lord. We only desire earnestly to enter fully into what you've provided. And we know it's great, Lord. It's it's greater than we can ask or think. And we just praise you, Father. We trust you for it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought I would uh, share with you a few times on... um, Sanctification before blessing. And, uh, you know, sanctification, hagiosmos, is uh, in the New Testament, uh, means separation from sin and uh, separation unto God. You know, um, this has been given to us as a gift through Jesus Christ. It, it's also something that we attain to through faith. In that gift. In other words, the Lord will fulfill it in us if we go after it by faith, since it is promised to us. And, um, you know, God can't really bless an individual, uh, nor can He bless a body of people um, that's been polluted by the world. We have access to grace through faith, according to Romans chapter 5. We believe that the Lord has given us this this sanctification and this holiness because of his promises. And um, if we walk in repentance and faith, the Lord will account it to us as righteousness. But if we walk in rebellion and self-will, the Lord's chastening will be upon us. And, uh, you know, we were just went through a study in our radio broadcast concerning uh, the bride and the special protection and provision that the bride receives from the Lord. We've also studied in the past that the bride is not all of the people of God, as much of the church says. You know, the Bible says in Song of Solomon, there are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number. 
but my love and my undefiled is but one. And he was speaking about the bride. There are many people of God that God loves, but the bride is a special place. As we know from Revelation chapter 21, the bride represents Zion. Uh, Zion, of course, was only a small part of the parable of God's people in the Old Testament. There was, of course, all of Israel and all of Judah, and then there was Zion. And we studied the protection that is afforded the bride in in our recent um, radio program. And I'd like to read just a little portion of that in Second Kings. Uh, I'll just recount to you a part of chapter 18 and read part of 19. Chapter 18, basically the uh, a revelation of the end time beasts attack upon God's people was the Assyrian Empire. And the king of Assyria uh, conquered, in chapter 18, all of Israel, carried them away captive. Those that they didn't kill were carried away captive. And they conquered all of Judah. And um, same thing, except in chapter 19, we find that God zealously protected one part of Israel, or of Judah, and that was Zion, Jerusalem, because it represented something in our day. As we know, Assyria was the second of the seven heads uh, that the last beast is made up of, seven heads, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, Rome, revived Rome. And every one of these beast kingdoms represents a revelation that's going to happen in the end time, because now all seven heads are a part of this beast. So Assyria, being that second head, it gave us a revelation of God's protection for his bride, Jerusalem. And I'm going to read to you Second um, Kings 19 and verse 30. It says, And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion they that shall escape. And he means, of course, escape from the beast kingdom that is conquering God's people. The zeal of the Lord shall perform this. The Lord is zealous. Why over this particular part of his people? Why not the rest of his people? Why was he not zealous to protect and to Destroyed the beast before it conquered all of Israel and all of Judah. Well, because of what Zion here represents. It represents the bride. Revelation 21. Come hither and I will show you the bride. The new Jerusalem. And it was coming down out of heaven, wasn't it? Amen. What is it about Jerusalem that represents something so holy and so perfect? Well... The wall of Jerusalem represents something. You know, in Song of Solomon, the bride, the Shulamite, which means the perfected one, the bride said, I am a wall. I am a wall. And a wall represents sanctification. It represents separation from the world. Right? Jerusalem was encompassed with this wall. 
And it was a separation from the beast, right? And, and you know, in Song of Solomon uh, chapter 8, the bride spoke about her little sister who was immature. And um, she said of her, if she be a wall, we will build her battlements. If she be a wall. Sounds strange. Why would the bride be a wall? Why would this be something that would protect her little sister? Well, you know, if we be sanctified, if we be separated from the world, if uh, our hedge is not let down and the enemy hasn't come in to dwell in our midst, dwelling in ourselves even, or in a body of people, if this be so, God will defend her. God defends the bride. God will defend even the little immature sister who hasn't come to maturity yet, if she be a wall. And, um, and of course, the wall around Zion represents that which will protect her. You know, there is a, there is a place of safety in holiness, in separation from the world. There is none for those who walk in their own self-will and rebellion. He goes on in verse 32. He says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there. Neither shall he come before it with shield, nor cast up a mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. He shall not come unto this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, a hundred and eighty-five thousand. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies." And then, then, of course, in the next chapter, there was a story of Hezekiah who pleaded with God for 15 more years that he had served the Lord and the Lord heard his cry that he had served the Lord and he promised him through Isaiah, uh, verse 6, he said, And I will add unto thy days 15 years, and I will deliver thee out and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And this is true about much of what the rest of the Bible says about the daughter of Zion, regenerate Zion, not apostate Zion, um, the apostate leadership of Israel, but regenerate Zion uh, when they walk in righteousness and purity. And uh, that wall represented that separation, that sanctification. You know, I like to point um, a couple of verses out to you in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Again, the word sanctification in this text is the word hagiosmos. It means purification. It means separation from the world, separation from sin, separation unto God. The word uh, for saints in the New Testament is is the base root word, which is hagios. And... Um, Saint means sanctified ones. That means those people who are separated unto God, separated from the world unto God. All through the New Testament, he addresses the saints. 
the separated ones, the sanctified ones. And in this text, he tells us, he said, Follow after peace with all men and the sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord. We certainly want to see the Lord, don't we? We want to see him in more ways than one. We want to see him after this life, but we want to see him in this life. You know, the Bible tells us we behold, we with an unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are transformed into that same image from glory to glory as from the Lord the Spirit. Right? But he says without sanctification we're not going to see the Lord. We won't see him, we won't come into his image, and we won't ultimately see him. That's um, contrary to a lot of people's doctrine, I know, but it's the Word of God. And uh, again, even the little sister can be sanctified, can be separated from the world, can be running after the Lord with all of her heart, right? And, uh, of course, in that case, uh, the Shulamite was seeking to bring her little sister into the presence of the king, Solomon, representing our king, of course. And she was, of course... Protecting and raising her up, right? As the bride will do in these days. So it says, Follow after peace with all men and the sanctification without which no man shall see the Lord, looking carefully, lest there be any man that falleth short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby the many be defiled. You know, in these days, many people are being defiled by roots of bitterness or by people who have roots of bitterness. Uh, people who are, you know, uh, slanderers, gossipers, backbiters. These people are defiled. They are like Esau, who was bitter and who sold his birthright, as it goes on to say here. Many people are defiled by these kind of people. You need to be careful. You need to be sanctified. You need to be separated from these kind of people. Separate yourself from these kind of people. A factious man, the Bible says, in Titus, uh, after a first and second admonition, refuse. In other words, separate yourself from them, right? And verse 16 says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. You know, um, fornicator has a spiritual aspect here. It's somebody who has relations with the world and not the Lord. You know, they were ordained. Uh, Esau was ordained as a son of Abraham to have relations with the Lord, right? And yet he was having relations with the world. He was receiving the seed of another kingdom. He was receiving this root of bitterness, which was, of course, from the devil and not from God. And it goes on to say that as Esau, who for one mess of meat, sold his own birthright. Now, I know meat here means just food, but it also brings into thought flesh. Because Esau followed after the flesh, or sought after the flesh, he sold his birthright. He found that meat was more important than his birthright, which he received, his inheritance, which he received, because he was a child of Abraham, right? And it goes on to say, For you know that even when he afterward desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. You know, there isn't going to be a blessing to those who refuse sanctification, 
who uh, receive the seed of the world instead of being separated from the world and its nature and its and its curse, right? Well, he was rejected, or the word there is actually a dokimos. It means reprobated. He was reprobated. There are people that are considered to be people of God that are reprobated. They um they don't know the ways of peace. They don't have uh, peace with all men, as the scripture says here. You know, they have a root of bitterness, and they spread their root of bitterness. And God has rejected them. It says, for he found no place for a change of mind, which basically is the meaning of repentance. He found no place for repentance. In his father, of course, was added in. It's in italics, and, and it's according to the translator that put it there as his understanding. But he found no place for a change of mind, though he sought it diligently with tears. Um, in other words, he wanted repentance himself. He wanted deliverance from this curse himself. But he was um, defiled by this root of bitterness. And, of course, we know his seed after him was defiled because the sins of the parents are passed on into the children of third and fourth generation. We know that Jesus came to break genetic curses that have been passed on. And, um, and But the seed of Abraham, they uh, refused um, the the inheritance that they received through Abraham. We are all sons of Abraham through faith, but he refused that inheritance and he traded it for a mess of meat, right, or flesh, following after the flesh. You remember the story how that Jacob was um, was greatly blessed when he separated himself from Esau. You know, um, he separated himself from Esau and um, the Lord gave him much fruit and uh, great abundance, so much so that it surprised Esau when, after many years, he uh, returned to his own land with his wives, with all of his children, with all of his flocks. It was surprising, the great amount of fruit, the great blessing. You know, that's a symbol. That's a symbol of, of uh, being sanctified, being separated from that which is unholy, that which is uh, corrupt, that which is uh, bitter, uh, that which has been rejected as um, as accursed, right? And uh, he bore much fruit, much blessing, because he separated himself from those who are not. Now, we find this pattern all the way through the scriptures. It's kind of interesting, you know. You know, God uh, demands of us separation. And, um, you know, in scriptures we see many types and shadows of this. Uh, We see actually two stages of it. You know, number one, God separates his people from the world. And number two, he then separates from his people the worldly. And uh, we see that, of course, uh, when Abraham was um, called from the Lord to be to come out from Ur of the Chaldees, which was Babylon, and uh, and yet God wasn't through yet because some of those which Abraham brought with him out of Babylon, like Lot and his family, so on and so forth, he later uh, ended up separating from Lot. Lot, of course, chose. 
Sodom, obviously a place that's not a good place, a place that uh, was not a sanctification, not a separation from the world. It brought a great curse upon himself, upon his family. But notice, God called Abraham to separate from the Babylonians. And then Abraham himself was separated from those who, whose life was not as holy as his. And we know there are other parables that speak well of Lot, that he was tormented. Uh, obviously, one reason that, that um, Lot became the man that he was was because of the, the torment that the Lord brought upon him in Sodom for uh, his bad choices, so to speak. You know? And um, another good type, of course, would be that God separated his people Israel in the land of Egypt. He separated them from the Egyptians. Um, the judgments that Moses, the man-child, brought upon Egypt was in order to separate God's people from the Egyptians. Goshen represented that separation, that land where the Israelite was separated from um, the Egyptians. And we know the first three judgments uh, came upon both the Israelites and the Egyptians until God's people had received once again the fear of the Lord. And uh, then um, the rest of those judgments fell upon the Egyptians. Also, the Red Sea is another representation of that. God made a separation at the Red Sea of his people from the Egyptians. Uh, a separation of the spiritual man from the carnal man. Paul, The Apostle Paul used that parable you know, to speak about how that uh, in the Red Sea, of course, there was a baptism unto death uh, for the Egyptian who represented the old man who had been keeping Israel in bondage. Right. Once again, folks, um, God's people are are in bondage uh, to the old man, and the Lord is sending deliverance. He's going to send it by the hand of the man-child. He's going to send it in the form of judgments upon Egypt, which are going to cause God's people to say they need to depart from Egypt, depart from submitting to the old man, who had kept them in bondage, right? So once again, we see that God's going to separate them, but also that when God has separated them from Egypt and brings them into the wilderness, he now has to separate the unbelievers from among them. Now, the unbelievers, you know, people tend to believe that the unbelievers are only the Egyptians, but the unbelievers that God found and complained about um, in the wilderness were the unbelievers of his own people. So, once again, we're going to see that the, the blessing comes, you know, when they entered into the promised land. The, the promised land was the land of milk and honey. It was the land of blessing. But God could not bring Israel, uh, even the faithful Israelites, he could not bring them into the land of blessing until all of the unfaithful and unbelieving died in the wilderness. So you see, the righteous people, like Joshua and Caleb represented, these people had to endure a time of trial and tribulation 
so that what would be separated from them would be these unbelieving, uh, murmuring Israelites. They had to endure a time. They didn't get to see the blessings that they um, should have received. Because the first thing that had to happen from them is God had to separate from them these people so that he didn't bless them. Right? Again, who went into the promised land? Well, it wasn't the Israelites who left Egypt other than Joshua and Caleb. Uh, it was their children. God said he would not let them enter in. They had to be separated. And so God brought them through these great trials and to prove who the unbelievers were among God's people. He brought them through these great trials. And in order to separate them from the righteous, who then got to enter into the land of milk and honey, the blessings, the provisions uh, of God. So this is a process that God does in every one of us, too. And, and one thing we need to learn is what they learned is that you need to come out from among them and be separate. There is no place of blessing without sanctification. Sanctification has many forms, but one form is that God wants us to separate ourselves from the leaven of wicked people. Even if they call themselves Christian, he wants to separate them from us. You want the blessings. I want the blessings. This has to happen. You know, the Lord told me recently, I asked the Lord, why so many Judases and Jezebels are rising up? You know, um, they can't help themselves. It's demons in them that rise up and torment the church and speak and rail against people and uh, argue about doctrine and take authority that they don't have and all these things. Why is this happening? And the Lord told me very plainly, he said, I'm doing you a favor. And I said, how so, Lord? You know, And the Lord said, because you don't really want all of these people to go into the wilderness with you, do you? I says, well, no, I don't. I know that in the wilderness there will be some of these people to try the people of God, because when, when Jesus um, chose the twelve, one of them was a son of perdition, right? A Judas. And, of course, Judas had a ministry. He, had, he was needed. But there are many more than we really evidently need from what the Lord told me. And uh, he is certainly showing these people up in these days. He is separating them from his people in these days. And I want to tell you, God's people also need to understand and cooperate with God in this process of separation. Because this is part of your job too. This is this wasn't just a job that that Moses had, or just that the elders of Israel had. This was a job that all of Israel needed to do. We're going to see from the Scriptures that we need to separate ourselves from those who are leaven, those who will keep us from being sanctified. Sanctification happens in more than one way. First of all, individually we need to be sanctified. Individually we need to come out from among them and be separate. Okay, but corporately, the body of Christ, the bride, for instance, is beautiful because it is a body of people that have been come separated from the rest of Israel in in the fact that they are so beautiful to God uh, because of their purity, because of their holiness, because of sanctification. Holiness and sanctification, by the way, are the same word, hagiosmos, in the New Testament.
They mean had the same exact meaning. Separation from the world unto God. You know, separation from that which is impure uh, unto God, right? And so I'd like to look in um, Exodus chapter 32 and make a few points there. And this is uh, one of the first times that God actually had to bring about a separation or a trial that would prove who it would be that would be separated. And, uh, you know, when Israel went into the wilderness, they had already been separated from the Egyptians. Basically, that represents salvation. When you go through the Red Sea and the Egyptian is cut off, it's your water baptism. So these are people that are what we call today saved. However, they still weren't sanctified. And God had to do that. I'm talking about as a body. They were not sanctified. There were people among them who were sanctified and always walked in that way. But as a body, they were not sanctified. And and to bring that body into the blessings of God, he needed to sanctify that body. And so he brought them through these trials in order to prove them, to see who it was that was a part of the sanctified body and who it was that would refuse that sanctification, that separation from the world. So I'm going to read um, 32 and 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. The word gods here is the word Elohim. It's the same word Elohim that they spoke of concerning their the true God, Elohim. But they wanted something visible that they could follow, something the flesh could get a hold of and something the flesh could follow. You know, um, our God is invisible for a reason. You know, he doesn't want us making pictures of him to follow and bow down to, you know. we uh, He wants us to know him by the spirit, not by the flesh. And, um, you, you know, the flesh won't obey God anyway. You know, he wants us to walk by faith. Faith is when you don't see, but you obey anyway, right? Up, make us gods, Elohim. Uh, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. Well, obviously God delayed um, this in order to try them to see if they would quickly uh, get out of the way. And they did. Okay. And Aaron said unto them, uh, Break off the golden rings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters. And bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden rings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received it at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it a, a molten calf. A golden molten calf. And they said, uh, these are, and then said, they said, these are thy gods, O Israel which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Obviously it wasn't. It was just a pile of gold, and they had made a god after the, a fleshly image that pleased their flesh, something that impressed them, uh, had nothing really to do with Elohim. And, um, but they gave credit to this god to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast unto Jehovah, or the Lord, or Yahweh. Okay? And they rose up. In other words, they again believed that this 
This was the true God, you know, the flesh. They rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Obviously, their new God uh, would permit them to live the way they wanted to live, after the lusts of their flesh, right? And, of course, it, there are many gods out there that um, people proclaim to be the Lord God. and uh, But usually they're false gods uh, permitting people to live in a certain way uh, that pleases their flesh, right? And verse 7 says, The Lord spake unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people that thou broughtest. <laughs> Notice he's saying, thou, thy people, right? It's not my people now, it's thy people. That thou broughtest up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have uh, turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed unto it. And said, These are thy gods. This, this molten calf was... Probably a replica of Apis, the calf god of Egypt, right? They, they knew uh, of a god in Egypt, and they went, when, when Moses wasn't around to lead them and guide them, they quickly reverted back to their Egyptian god, right? These are thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Well, you know, not all of them were stiff-necked, but a majority of them were. It's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Well, notice, you know, when they were all together as a body, God as a body condemned them. And... um there needed to be a separation of that which was good in their midst. And uh, God, basically, God agreed to this a little further on. But right now, he's, he's condemning them and uh, offering to, um, to raise up a new people. And verse 11, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why dost thy wrath wax hot against thy people that thou broughtest forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak, saying, For evil did he bring them forth to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn away thy fierce wrath. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, so on and so forth. And the Lord repented of the evil. And um, he didn't consume them at that time. But he did make some promises a little further down, and I want to point them out to you. Let's say verse uh, 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoso is on the Lord's side, let him come unto me. This is interesting. There was somebody that was on the Lord's side during all of this. Somebody that evidently didn't agree with the golden calf situation. And it was the Levites. Now, the Levites represent something in the New Testament. I'm going to read to you Exodus uh, 19, verse 5 and verse 6. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall you be mine own possession from among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. 
and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The kingdom of priests was the holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And of course he did. A holy people. God's people, God's true people, are a holy people. Meaning separated, sanctified. Same word. They are separated from the world. The Levites were separated to be God's own possession. And in this case, it appears that the Levites in uh, Exodus 32 were not in agreement. And, uh, and so Moses said, Whoso is on the Lord's side, let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together. That's the holy nation. This is the truly, the truly holy people. These are the priests of God. Okay? And verse 27, And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Put ye every man his sword upon his thigh. And go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. What does this represent? Well, there had to be a sanctification of the people who had not fallen into this false god, this worship of a false god. And we know that in the New Testament, of course, we're forbidden to take the sword and sanctify the body with the edge of a a physical sword. Um, But we do have a sword. And we have a sword which is called the Word of God in Ephesians, right? And, you know, When you're in the midst of a people, and some of those people are unholy, they are what is blocking you from receiving the blessing as a body. They stop you from receiving the blessing. God cannot bless the body without blessing these evil, wicked people. There has to be some sanctification there. You think that Moses was the only one whose job it was to sanctify Israel? It doesn't appear to be that way. It appears to be that the priests of God, and we are all called to be a kingdom of priests of God, to use the sword to separate and to sanctify the body. You know, if someone comes unto you that's full of sin, the Bible tells you what to do about it. It tells you in 1 Corinthians 5 to separate from them. That is, if they're called a believer, but they're walking in sin, the Bible commands you to separate from them. And to even reprove them. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even reprove them. In other words, you take your sword and you point out to this person that they are one of the people that is uh, stopping the body from receiving the great blessings that, that God wants to pour out. You know, God couldn't bless Israel in Egypt. He had to separate them from that body. But then there was something blocking them from receiving the great blessings of God in the wilderness. And it was those unbelievers in their midst. Even though they were Israelites, 
They would have today be called Christians, but yet they are blocking the blessing to come upon the body. And something has to be done about it. Would you take the sword? You know, the Bible says, Cursed is he that sits on his sword, right? Um, would you sit on your sword, or would you use that sword to correct the brother that comes to you with uh, slander, you know, with uh, gossip, uh, with uh, hatred, with uh, judgment against the body? Would you correct that person? Would you point out to them, for instance, hey, you need to go and talk to your brother that you're talking about. Would you go and <clears throat> obey Matthew 18 and 15, which is if you see your brother sin, go and show him his sin between you and him alone? You know, would you correct him? Uh, would, for instance, um, you tell the brother who is um, um, assaulting the elders, would you tell him, look, it's forbidden for us to receive an accusation against an elder without witnesses. Would you tell him? Would you correct him? Would you correct the brother who or sister who is in your midst who is committing fornication, and yet they're sitting right next to you in the pew in church being accepted? And when the Bible tells you not to accept them but to separate from them, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, would you be the one with the sword? Would you do what's necessary for the local body to be blessed. Who, are, who is your allegiance to? Your friendship with a friend or your friendship with God? What's more important? Uh, building up the body to receive the blessings of God because it's holy or keeping the friendship you have with your friend? I've read, I, I believe some, most of Christianity would think that's not my job, that's the preacher's job. No, that's not what we're seeing here. And that's not what we're seeing in the rest of the scriptures either. Let me read on here. Verse 28. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. And Moses said, Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. Yea, every man against his son and against his brother, that ye may bestow upon you a blessing this day. There wasn't going to be any blessing until there was this separation. There wasn't going to be any blessing until the sword was applied to these people who had caused the problem. Wasn't going to be any blessing. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord peradventure. I shall make atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord, and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. He, uh, he pardoned, he didn't bring wrath upon the whole body, because he wanted to bring wrath upon those that sinned. And these trials that they were about to go through was going to reveal the murmurers, the unbelievers among them. And, and through these trials, these people were put to death in the wilderness. And according to this, those that sinned against him and worshipped a false god who polluted the body, these people bore their judgment. He said, 
Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. And you better believe it, God's still doing this. As we're also told in the, in the New Testament, like Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, or Revelation 22 and 18. He's still doing this in the New Testament, friends. Verse 34, And now go and lead the people into the place which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And he did. These people died in the wilderness because of their unbelief, because of their murmuring, because of their lack of sanctification, because they had no faith, and because God was their provider during that whole time, but they rebelled against the Lord. And notice what it says in verse 35. And the Lord smote the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. Now just think about the truly righteous people in their midst. They were having to suffer for these other people because there had been no sanctification of the body. So think about the Joshua's and the Caleb's who were going through this wilderness with these people, suffering with them, actually deserving to go over and walk into the promised land because they weren't walking in this way, but yet they were suffering with these people. You know, how long until God's people stand up and say enough? You know, how, how long until they say, you know, take out the sword and use the word of God? on these people that are walking in willful rebellion. How long? You know, there has to be a separation so that we can come into the great blessings that are just ahead for us. There's a great revival coming. There's great blessings, great provision. Miraculous things are coming for the people of God. But who's hindering it now? And who's been hindering it all along? Well, it is the people who are walking in their selfish uh, Esau-type ways. Uh, selling their birthright day by day, uh, not separating them, themselves from their their um, their evil ways or evil thoughts, their rebellion against God. You know, let's look at another example of this in uh, Numbers chapter 16. Let's look at this is a the Korah rebellion. Look what happened in the Korah rebellion. I want to point out something to you here. Verse 19. You remember that Korah obviously took upon himself to be a leader in Israel, even though it wasn't given to him by God. Uh, he took it upon himself. I, I'm suspecting that Moses, you know, in Exodus chapter 4, Moses spoke about he was slow of tongue and he wasn't eloquent. eloquent. And I'm suspecting that why did so many people follow Korah? He would, probably was a, a real slick talker. Maybe even a slick looker, you know. But uh, the people followed him. But think about the miracles God had done through Moses. This guy who was slow of tongue. He wasn't quick-witted, evidently. And he wasn't eloquent in his speech. He complained about all these things. But suddenly these people are following Korah. And Korah assembled all the congregation against them, that is, Moses and Aaron, uh, unto the door of the tent of the meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves. That's the word separate here obviously represents sanctification, right? Separate yourselves from among this congregation. Wow. 
that I may consume them in a moment. The Lord didn't want to consume all of them. He wanted to uh, consume the people who had were obviously taking sides with Korah, and um, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces, Moses and Aaron, fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? Wilt thou be wroth with all of the congregation? Well, obviously they had an opportunity to follow or not follow, right? And the Lord knew this and understood this. But while they were one body and in rebellion, he was considering the whole body as um, perpetrators, right? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. In other words, separate yourselves from among these people, so I can protect you, so I can bless you, so I can chasten them, right? Separate yourselves. And, uh, you know, are there people following false voices today? You know, in the midst of every assembly, of course, there are people that are false voices, false leaders, you know, corrupt people that speak things and lead people astray. Not necessarily always religious leaders, you know, but just corrupt voices, corrupt people, right? That we need to separate from so we don't incur their judgment. Uh, Many people are judged because they unite themselves with people that are corrupt. And, of course, this could also represent and does represent a false leadership in uh, Christianity. Uh, you want to partake of the curses that are upon these people who have usurped the position of the kingdom, you better come out from among them and be separate, or you will incur their judgments, as Revelation 18 also says. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs. Touch nothing of theirs. Be separate from it. Be separate from everything, all their thoughts, all their doings, all their actions. Be separate from them. Separate yourself from these people, right? Lest you be consumed in all of their sins. Don't touch it or you'll be consumed. That's not separation, is it? When you touch things, you're not separated, are you? He says, be separate from it. Don't have nothing to do with it. Don't touch it. So they got them up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the the door of of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little ones. And, uh, And Moses said, thereby shall you know, hereby shall you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. And But if the Lord do a new thing, and uh, the ground open up its mouth, and swallow them up with all that pertaineth unto them, and they go down alive into Sheol, uh, then you shall understand that these men have despised the Lord. And I've shared with you in the past that this represents being swallowed alive by the earth, the earth represents the flesh. And a, a people, the Bible says in First um, Timothy 5 and 6 that she that giveth herself to pleasure is dead while she liveth. 
We're not here to please the flesh or to be consumed by the flesh. But yet, people who are in rebellion against God will be delivered over to their flesh. They will be consumed. They will not be able to overcome that flesh because of their rebellion. Uh, Separate yourself from people that do such things. People who live after the lust of their flesh, please their flesh. Separate yourself so that you're not swallowed up by the curse that's upon them. The Lord is basically saying, if you don't do it, you will be swallowed up by their curse. We are commanded to separate. I mean, they took out the sword and they separated. Those that worship the golden calf, they put them to the sword, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it has to be important that God's body be holy and be separate from these people. They have to be judged from being in the midst. People in willful disobedience need to be judged. If they uh, are repentant and they're turning away from it and they're running from it, fine, great, wonderful. If they're not and they're happy to sit in the midst of their sins and want to be justified and want to use doctrine to justify them, then they need to be separated. Uh, A little leaven leavens the whole lump, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he commands us there to separate from these people. so that the whole lump is not leavened, uh, or and considered by God to be leavened, too. You know, uh, we as the church, or as a body of believers, in, in whatever place you are in, you want that body to be blessed. You want it to come into the blessings and the provisions of God. And we always want to see that. But when God raises these people up, He turns them over to their flesh, and you can see that they're consumed, and they're... Um, swallowed up by the earth, basically, then you need to make a separation. And uh, if you don't, then their curses will be upon you. And at least you will not enter into the blessings. You know, I mean, um, the Lord said in Revelation 18, you know, come out from among them and be separate. And that's what he demands of us today. He wants a holy people, a holy body, holy individuals, uh, if you know people who are doing some of the sins, for instance, that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you don't do what it demands there that you do to separate yourself from them, and we'll look at that probably next time a little more, separate yourself from those people. If you don't do it, then a little leaven is going to leaven the whole lump. That's what the Apostle Paul said, and of course he spoke in the name of the Lord, right? So he says, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and don't touch the unclean thing, and I shall be to you a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters. Obviously, the people once again rose up against the Lord, and um, he sent another judgment upon them because they rebelled against Moses. You know, um, the Lord said in Deuteronomy 18, you know, Moses said, um, a prophet shall the Lord thy God raise up unto thee like unto me. Unto him shall you hearken in all things. And whosoever shall not hearken unto the voice of that prophet, uh, the Lord will require it of him. So he said basically, in that was speaking also of Jesus, and it was also speaking of the man-child in, in our day, that God was going to raise up a, um, a, uh, a voice of the Lord uh, to separate the people. Um, from among the wicked. We've been having a wonderful study here on um, sanctification before blessing. 
We've been discovering that um, God can't bless a body if it's um, polluted by the world. Whether you're talking about the corporate body or whether you're talking about an individual body. And um, so let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we thank you, Lord, that your word is true, that it will bring us into unity, Father, the unity of the Spirit. It will uh, cause us to um, be, come into agreement with you, Lord, so that we can walk together. And, uh, Lord, we just ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, to, to cleanse your body, cleanse the church, cleanse us individual, Lord. Deliver us, Lord, from the corruption of the world. Deliver us, O Lord, from the traditions of men. Uh, deliver us, O Lord, from the lusts of the flesh. All these things that distract us from coming into agreement with you and into agreement with your people. Our Lord Jesus said, Father, I pray that they may be one as we are one. So, Lord, let your true people be one, and, and let the spots and blemishes be kicked out, Lord. And those that want to submit to you and, and be ruled by you, let them come into unity. Uh, but let the leaven be kicked out, Father. And we thank you in Jesus' name, Father. Hallelujah. Well, I would like to back up just a little bit so that we get the text, so that what I, I start off with here won't be too strange to somebody that may be joining us. We discovered that God, um, in bringing a people out of the world, first separates his people from the world, kind of like God bringing his people out of Egypt, you know. But when he gets them in the wilderness, he separates them again. And uh, he separates the leaven out of their midst. You know, those that worship false gods out of their midst. Those that, um, you know, basically want to do their own thing. And in one text that we studied is Exodus chapter 32, where they went into the wilderness and immediately made the the molten calf, the, the golden calf, which was a replica of the god Apis, which was an Egyptian god that they were used to. So, <clears throat> so they, some of them did that and worshipped this, and of course uh, God was quite angry and told Moses that he was going to destroy the whole bunch, because basically mixed in with this bunch was these spots and blemishes. And uh, Moses Moses cried out for mercy, and and God said, okay, but um, here's what we're going to do. And I'll just read that part to you in Exodus um, 32 and 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp, and he said, Whoso is on the Lord's side, let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. So the Levites, who we discovered are the priests, and God made a promise to, to his people that he would make them a kingdom of priests if they would hearken unto his word and obey him. He'd make them a kingdom of priests. So the people who are representing uh, the remnant here is the Levitical priesthood. And the Levites gathered themselves together, and the first thing he told them to do is, you guys strap on your swords, verse 27, and you go throughout the camp here from gate to gate, and you slay every man his brother and his companion and his neighbor, and and they did. And 3,000 people fell. And um, the Lord said, consecrate yourselves, verse 29, today, 
to the Lord, uh, yea, every man against his son, against his brother, that he may bestow upon us a blessing this day. In other words, God had pronounced a curse, a destruction against the whole body. He told Moses, I'll make of you a greater nation. But um, he basically listened to Moses and um, decided, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to separate from the body those who have sinned against me. Then the rest of them will be blessed. Notice what he said here. Uh, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. They had to put to death these people who basically worshipped a false god. And and in order to in, in doing that, they received the blessing. That is the people who served the true God, the priests of the Lord. And um you know, he said down in verse thirty three, he said, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So this separation was necessary. Separation is the word for sanctification. Sanctification has to come before blessing. He has to separate us from the world. He has to separate us from those who are leavened. He has to separate us from the carnal. He has to make, he is making a spotless, blemishless body here, you see. And uh, of course, Jude spoke about the spots and the blemishes in our midst, and Peter did too, you know. That's these people that refused to walk after the Lord. So do we take the sword today and we just kill off these people that are... No, no. actually we use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we correct them. And, and we've looked at a few verses, but we'll look at a few more verses concerning this. We correct them or we separate them. And, um, you know, uh, from here we went to number 16 and we saw where God did this again. These are types, of course. We're looking at types that... We have to discover how they're fulfilled in the New Testament. You know, do you permit people around you to walk in sin and, and defile the body of Christ, or do you do something about it? You know, God told us to do a few things. He commanded it in, for instance, in Matthew 18 and 15, that if you see your brother sin, you go to him and you try to convince him with the word, and, and if he doesn't hear you, you, go, you bring another one. And uh, the two of you try it out on him. That's verse 16. And if that don't work, you bring him before the church. But you have to deal with that sin. God's basically forcing you by this commandment to deal with this sin. Why? Because that sin will corrupt. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It will corrupt the church. He wants you to deal with it. He wants you to get the sword out. Right? You're fighting with the sword of the Spirit against the enemies of God, against the spirits that rule over people. You want them to submit to God. You don't want to have to separate them from the body. But that's the next step, is separating them from the body. I'm talking about sin. I'm not talking about differences of doctrine. People have to grow up in knowledge and understanding, and you have to help them to understand better. But I'm talking about sin. And then we went to number 16, and we discovered the same situation. Um, you know, we just saw they were worshiping a false god. They called him Jehovah or Yahweh, uh, Elohim, but it was a golden calf. They had The nature of their god was not the nature that they put the name on, you see. So in this case, false leaders. God separated his people by false leaders. 
And in number 16, we have the story of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And and uh, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram had led the people against Moses and Aaron. They were usurping the authority. They were not ordained of God like many are today. The same thing is happening to people today in the spirit is the Korah, Dathan, and Abiram rebellion. People who take the position of a leader over God's people and they lead people away from Moses or Jesus, you see. And uh, these guys end up dead. They they end up uh, swallowed up by the earth, just like Korah, and Abiram did. did. Uh, meaning, of course, they're swallowed up by their flesh. They're overcome by their flesh. You ever see preachers who get totally overcome by the lusts of their flesh, and they justify it, which, of course, corrupts the whole body around them when they do that? Because if it's okay for him, well, it's okay for us, right? And God judges them because they become more and more reprobate in their mind, more and more corrupt and overcome by their flesh. Well, anyway, God wanted to deal with it. So he said in verse 20, uh, he spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves. Now there's that word again. That's the word that means sanctify. Sanctify yourselves. Uh, from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. God was going to, again, take out the whole congregation. Because as a body, they were polluted. So what does God have to do? He has to make a smaller body that's not polluted. And when you do that, you have to separate the wicked from among them. In this case, it was those people who are bound and determined to follow false prophets, false pastors, false leadership. They're bound and determined. We're coming to a great division that those who won't come out from among them will be Reprobated. It happened in Jesus' day. Those that didn't come out of apostate Judaism ended up being reprobated and fighted and fought against the truth. Okay. And uh, Moses and Aaron fell upon their faces before God and said, um, The God of the spirits of all flesh shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? So God said, Well, okay. And he spoke unto Moses, uh, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up. Here's the second choice. Again, same, the same choice. Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Separate from these men. Now, Jesus did that. He separated. He went into the sheepfold. He called a sheep by name. And he separated them from those apostate leaders. And they followed him. Okay. Jesus, you know, was like Moses in that effect, you know. So, so he said, speak unto the congregation, get you up. In other words, separate yourself. There it is again, separate yourself. And uh, down in 26, he said, depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all of their sins. Touch nothing. Don't even touch nothing of theirs. Separate yourself. Get up away from their tents, their tabernacles, their churches, and um, and don't touch anything of theirs. That's what the Lord. That was what the Lord demanded. Okay, if you want to live, this is what you must do. And so they did. And God opened up the earth, and it swallowed up these guys down into the earth. And uh, those that murmured about it afterwards, well, he, the Lord sent out a plague, and he killed seventeen thousand uh, people, or fourteen thousand people, and seven hundred. 14,700 people, because they murmured about it. Now, that was besides the people of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their families, you know. 
they murmured about it again, and he separated them again. See? So, is God going to do that in these days? Exactly what he's going to do in these days, folks. He's going to have a spotless, blemishless bride. He's going to get rid of the spots and the blemishes that Peter and Jude spoke about, which is these corrupt people in the midst of the corporate body. Okay? And, of course, individually, he wants to clean us up, too. Okay? That's part of it. Okay? So, we're talking about... Uh, two kinds of separation here. Sanctification for the individual, sanctification for the body. This separation is necessary for the blessing. Again, the blessing in this case was they got to live. And, and of course, uh, life is important. Eternal life is very important. The rest didn't. They went down into Sheol, you know, the place of the dead, right? But I'm going to leave with this point right here. He says... Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all of their sins. Don't touch anything of theirs. Why? These people are corrupt. They are dead men. You know, the Lord said in 1 Timothy 5 and 6 that she that giveth herself to pleasure is dead while she liveth. There are people who are dead. They are not living. They are dead because they walk after the lust of the flesh They walk after the works of the flesh. The Bible says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the mind of the Spirit. And, of course, you walk after the works of Jesus Christ. You walk in His steps, right? God wants a people who are alive. Uh, They have life. He said, Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. We have to have his life in us. People who don't eat his body and drink his blood, his body is this word, the word made flesh, right? And his blood is his nature. The life of the flesh is in the blood. It is the nature and the life of that person. So we partake of the nature and the life of Christ. And if we're not doing that, then we're dead. There's only two, you know, if he said, if you don't do this, you don't have life. So there are dead people that walk in the midst of the body because they don't submit to the Word of God, and they don't submit to the nature of Jesus Christ, which is his name, nature, character, and authority. That's what name means, onoma, nature, character, and authority. So basically, um, we're not to touch anything of theirs. We don't partake of their thinking. We don't partake of their doctrine. We don't partake of their idolatrous religion. We don't partake of their apostate preachers. We don't touch nothing of theirs. Okay, And uh, that is implied in chapter 19. Let me share with you a little parable here in chapter 19, which is pretty interesting, I think. And it's about sanctification in order to have blessing too. Okay, So chapter 19, I'm going to read something to you here. Verse 11, he that toucheth, there it is, there's that word again, toucheth. You remember, you're not supposed to touch anything of these corrupt people. Don't be influenced by anything that they have. Be separate from what they have and what they do and what they think. Be separate. Touching is not being separate. Sanctification represents being separate from them. Come out from among them and be ye separate, the Lord said. So, touching is the opposite of separate. Touching is when you're not sanctified. Touching is when you're too close to this dead person, right? He that toucheth the dead body of any man. This is the dead, 
when you're touching the dead. Who, is these, who are these dead people? Well, they're the people who don't have life. They're the ones we have to separate from. They've got no business in the body. They're darkness in, in a light body. You know, spots and blemishes. You know, they, we've got to come out. They've got to come out of this body, right? And uh, if you do what the Bible tells you to do, they will either submit to the Word of God, repent and obey, or they'll leave. If you preach the Word of God, they will not like it for very long. They can't stand it for very long. I've seen people come and go. I've seen some people be sanctified and become holy and walk in the steps of Jesus. Other Others, they don't quite fit in. They keep fighting against the system. They do all kinds of sneaky things, and they live in sin behind the scenes. And after a while, they get offended and they leave because they can't stand the Word. The Word is the sword. It will drive them out, you know. And if you stick to the Word and you love the Word and you want to submit to the Word, there will be people that won't be able, want to be around you. That Word, that sword will separate you from them. And that's good. That's good. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. The Paul warns us about that. So he's telling us here, this is a parable. He says, He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Unclean. So, in other words, if you're not sanctified, what are you? You're unclean. Right? And so, what is this What is this touching the dead body? Well, I think I can point it out pretty good in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at that. Let's uh, read from verse 1. And you did he make alive when you were dead. Now, were they physically dead? No. But they were dead. Okay. You did he make alive when you were dead through your trespasses and sins. So a person walking in trespasses and sins is walking in death, aren't they? So when you're not separated from those who are walking in sins, it, it means you're not sanctified of that. It means a little leaven can leaven the whole lump. The Lord don't want you to, have a per, to partake in that, right? So he says, Wherein you once walked according to the course of this world. Christians who walk according to the course of this world, they're dead while they live. Just like Timothy says. They're not alive. They're not sanctified. They're touching the old man, the dead man, right? According to the prince of the powers of the air, of the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience. So there are people that are called the people of God, call themselves Christians, but they're following the devil. And you can't get them to submit to the word. You can correct them over and over and over. They won't submit to the word. They can't. Their nature is is contrary to that. And verse 3. Among whom we also once lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. If you walk after the flesh, you must die. People who walk after the flesh are dead people. Right? You're not walking in the light. You're not walking in the kingdom. You're not abiding in the life of Christ, which is partaking of his body and his blood. Right? So that's a dead man. You know, you need to be separate from this old man. He's dead and gone. He was crucified with Christ, right? He's dead. If you go back and you touch him and you're not separate from him and he rules in your life, then that is where this destruction comes from. And so I'm going to read on just a little bit here. Lived in the lust of your flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature 
children of wrath, even as the rest. By nature, children of wrath. You know, there's a lot of Christians that are, by nature, children of wrath, because they're not separate from the old man. The old man isn't dead, and they're, and they're touching him. They're not separate from him. Okay. But God being rich in mercy, and I should say, uh, there are bodies of people where they don't teach them that when a person walks in outward immorality, that has to be dealt with so that the body is not corrupted. They don't, they don't teach that. They teach some kind of greasy grace where you, everybody's okay. And so the whole body is totally corrupt. You know, so in, individually and corporately, this is true, right? But God, being rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, okay? and of course there are still people dead in their trespasses, because they don't even believe in separating from sin. They believe that they're sinners saved by grace, so they're going to live like a sinner the rest of their life and go to heaven. That's their thinking. you know. But they're dead. They're not alive. Okay? Uh, even when you were dead through your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. So a person who's got the grace of God upon them, and they're walking by faith. If you're not walking by faith, you don't have grace. This is not a step over the line type thing, folks. You know, If you're not walking by faith, you don't have grace. You don't have it now. Are you being saved now from your sins? Are you being saved now from the curse? Are you being saved now? Don't say, I was saved back then. Are you saved now? Are you bearing fruit? You know, Are you touching the old man? Are you living in the, the works of the old man? Well, he says here, you're dead if you're doing that. You walk after the flesh. The soul that sins must die. He was telling his people that. You know, you're either walking in life or you're walking in death. Okay? And he's telling you that there are people in the midst of the body that are dead. Don't touch them. And your soul flesh is dead. Don't touch it. Don't have nothing to do with it, you know. You were crucified with Christ. And um, and now it's it's not you that live, it's Christ that lives in you, right? So this is a way I think I've pointed out here that um, that we're we're coming to learn to separate ourselves from this old fleshly man. And in the in our our text back in Numbers 19, I'm going to read on. Let me read it again. He said, He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. And seven days, I think, means until the rest. Well, why is that? Because because the rest is when you cease from your works. Remember what we just read about who it is that's dead. The people who live in the works of the flesh. And the Sabbath represents when you cease from your works and enter into the rest through faith in God's promises. That's what the New Testament Sabbath is, according to Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. So, here we have in he that toucheth the dead body, in other words, not separated, shall be unclean for seven days. So, so we have to separate. We have to come out from among them, right, and be separate. Now, 2 Corinthians speaks about this. Let's read a little bit of that. Let's, uh, let's start in verse 14. He said, Be not unequally yoked. Don't be yoked together. Don't touch the old man, right? 
Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. In other words, you're not pulling alongside your old man, are you? The old man's dead, right? You know what a yoke is. It, it, it couples two creatures together here, you know. You're not pulling, you know, you're not giving him equal time, are you? <laughs> you don't want to give the old man equal time. You don't want to be yoked next to him. You're in control now. He's dead, right? So you're not letting him lead at all, right? It says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is like the two separations we were talking about. The first separation was coming out of Egypt. Separate yourself from the wicked world, right? The second one was, was come out from among those who proclaim themselves to be Israelites. Separate yourself from them when they walk after the flesh, when they walk after false prophets and false leaders. Separate yourself from them. Okay, let's read on. For what fellowship has righteousness and iniquity? Or what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? So, those who walk after the God of this world, you know, even though they call themselves Christians, uh, that's coupling Christ with Belial, you know. Remember, the religious people in Jesus' day, the, even the religious leaders, the heads of their denominations, uh, he says, you're of your father the devil. So, these disciples that were following Jesus, could they stay under those people? No, they couldn't. He called them out. Called him by name, called him out. He didn't want them yoked with Belial. You know, what portion hath a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement hath a temple of God with idols? We just saw both of these. You know, they came out of Egypt, but then God had to get Egypt out of them. You know, they they made an idol, and then they had to separate from the people who made the idol. Yeah, and. Um, for we are a temple of the living God, even as God said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come ye out from among them, and be ye separate. So separate yourself from these people who don't want to walk holy. Don't make it a matter of life to fellowship. You know what fellowshipping is? It is giving and receiving. That's what fellowshipping is. You don't want to receive any of that. You you don't want to touch that. You see, in the Old Testament, a parable was given to us about eating unclean beasts, and then we found out in the Book of Acts that those unclean beasts were the lost people of the world. You know, in the parable where the sheep came down out of heaven with all the beasts on it, and God said, "Peter, you kill and eat." Peter said, "Oh no, Lord, nothing unclean." He said, "What I've made clean, don't you make unclean?" And so he got the revelation eventually that uh, God was sending him to the Gentiles, and God had cleansed the Gentiles through faith too. And so, um, but before that, he was not going to be defiled by these beasts, because they were commanded in the Old Testament, you know, not to partake of these beasts, you know. God said, now you can partake of them because I've cleansed them, you see. And so, you know, again, he says, come out from among them and be separate says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. There it is again. Don't touch it. To be separate is to not touch it. Don't touch what is theirs. See, don't touch it. Separate yourself from it. So now we're getting what this parable is actually talking about here. And I will receive you. If you don't touch them, 
You can be holy and God will receive you. If you do touch it, you're unclean. That's what the parable we're looking at is going to tell us, okay? And will be to you a father and you shall be to me sons and daughters. Now, quite often in the scriptures he says children, but this place he uses the word sons, sons and daughters. You know, it's a it's really a higher meaning. Uh, children uh, magnifies the the understanding that you're born from a person, but son magnifies a relationship. Technon and Huios. Huios represents the relationship. You know, Jesus was the Son of God, and we manifest our sonship. And he says, if you don't touch these unclean things, and you're not unholy because you're not separate from them, you can be my son. Okay? Seth the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement. What what happens to the person who touches a dead man? He is defiled. Okay? Cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. What's holiness mean? Sanctification. Separation. Same word. See? Separation. Uh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Well, I guarantee you, you had the fear of God back there because <laughs> they would take the sword and they'd separate you, wouldn't they? And I want to tell you something. The people in the church ought to have the fear of God, too, that they'll be separated from God. Some of them don't have that fear of the Lord, that if they walk in debauchery, if they walk after the old man, if they're cozying up to the old man, yoked up to that old man, giving him equal time, letting him climb down off his cross and rule their life for him, they don't understand. They can be separated. And they're defiling the body. So let's go back and read this, Numbers 19, a little bit more here. He says, He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. The same shall purify himself, which is what we just read, therewith, on the third day. And on the seventh day he shall be clean. You know, the third day could represent the three days that Christ was in the grave, um, death to self, right? The third day. And on the seventh day, which is, of course, the, the spiritual Sabbath, ceasing from your own works, right? A person will be clean. If, if you partake in the death and burial of Christ, you shall also partake of his resurrection, right? Resurrection life of Christ is manifested in the people who are entered into his rest. They are ceasing from their works. They've entered into the rest through faith. They're partaking of the resurrection life of Christ. Okay, So on the seventh day he shall be clean. But if he purify not himself the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. Okay, Whosoever toucheth a dead person, the body of a man that hath died, and purifieth not himself, defileth the tabernacle of the Lord. What tabernacle do you suppose he's talking about? The individual tabernacle or the corporate tabernacle? Both. Both. No man lives unto himself or dies unto himself. If you're defiled and you sit in the midst of the people, you defile them. As we just got through speaking, the Lord was going to destroy the whole congregation because as a body they were defiled. And he wanted them clean as a body. So he separated the wicked from them in order to accept the righteous. Now what do we have to do? The same thing. 
If a person is walking in willful disobedience, the Bible says in Hebrews 10.26, if we sin willfully after we receive a knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. That's the wrath of God that falls on people who walk in willful sin. If you've got somebody in willful sin, they can bring a curse on you just by being in the same body with them, being yoked to them. And uh, if, if nothing else, they will um, defile the tabernacle. I mean, that's why Paul said, put them out in 1 Corinthians 5. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Put these people out of your assembly. If they're going to walk in willful disobedience and they keep on and on and don't show any repentance, put them out. Don't let them ruin you. Don't let them defile you. And, and uh, purifieth. Not himself defileth the tabernacle of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Oh, is it still that way? Yeah, this is a type and a shadow for our day. It's still that way. He shall be cut off from Israel because, because the water for impurity was not sprinkled upon them. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is yet upon him. This water for impurity was not sprinkled upon him. Now, what is this water for impurity? I don't know, but if you don't have it, you're in trouble. In fact, I'm going to read on down here to verse 20. It says, But the man that shall be unclean shall and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly. Okay, this is this is still our God's demand today. Okay, because He hath defiled the sanctuary, so that that even puts it in a little bit different light, but it really explains it better. Um, of the Lord, the water for impurity hath not been sprinkled upon him; he is unclean, and it shall be a perpetual statute unto them. And he that sprinkleth the water for impurity shall wash his clothes. And he that toucheth the water for impurity shall be unclean until he even wash his clothes. So, it, it, the person that sprinkles the water for impurity washes his clothes. You know, remember the bride in Revelation 19 and 8? Her, her, her clean clothes, her uh, bright, pure garment, which is the righteous acts of the saints. Right? So, what is this water for impurity? Well, let's go back to 19 and 1 and, and just briefly scan down through here and see if we can figure out what this water for impurity is. I think it's the same thing as the sword that we just read about. The sword that separated the people, put to death the old man that sinned and separated the people here. Revelation 19.1 And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, uh, and upon which never came a yoke. Praise the Lord. Well, obviously this is talking about Jesus, right? Yeah. And um, verse 3 says, And you shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, and he shall bring her forth without the camp. And one shall slay her before his face. Without the camp. Remember the Bible speaking about um, Jesus being slain without the camp, right? That's in Hebrews uh, chapter 
13, I believe it is. Let's see. Hebrews 13, and let's see, I'm going to read verse 11. It says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us, therefore, go forth unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Well, the reproach is, of course, that he was no longer accepted in the camp, right? And Jesus wasn't. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. You know, if you walk holy, same thing is going to happen to you. The camp will reject you. The camp being, of course, the broad road, the, 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 the overwhelming majority of what's called God's people. They will reject you, okay? Bearing his reproach. So, we're to walk in his steps. We also have a sacrifice to make, right? We, we, we sacrifice our old life as a, a living sacrifice, right? Romans says. So we also are walking in this crucified life. It's like the third day doctrine we just read about. If you're not sanctified on the third day, if you're not uh, purified on the third day, you won't be on the seventh. That's what he said. Four, we have not here an abiding city, but... We seek after the city which is to come. All right. So so we see that uh, the Lord has called us without the camp. And this sacrifice animal, which represents Jesus, uh, also suffered without the camp. And in other words, here's separation again we're talking about. He was separate, wasn't he? Well, he was separate. And um, he was brought forth without the camp, and he was slain by his own people. He was separate from his people. He was without spot and without wrinkle, very much like the description here. And uh, we also know in, in Exodus 33, uh, let me read that to you. In verse 7, it says, Now Moses uh, used to take the tent and to pitch it without the camp, afar off from the camp. And he called it the tent of the meeting. And it came to pass that every one that sought the Lord went out unto the tent of the meeting, which was without the camp. So, so basically, you're going to end up being separated from the majority of what is called God's people if you seek the Lord. If you're going to be like Jesus, who was rejected by his own people, uh, you're going to go forth without the camp just like him. In other words, you're not going to mind being different from the worldly church. Uh, if you do mind, well, then you're touching the dead body, and you're not going to be sanctified. But we're called to be separate, says the Lord. And, um, you know, another place that you can see this very plainly is in um, Exodus 19. Let me read that to you. And we'll look at uh, verse uh, 14. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people. Obviously, Moses was ordained on the mount, and he came to bring the word of God, right, to the people of God. And um, and sanctified the people, separated the people. Without, without holiness, same word as sanctification. Without sanctification, no man shall see the Lord. So we have to be separate. Right? And they washed their garments. 
And that's what we need to do, too, if we're going to see the Lord. That's what sanctification is, washing your garment. Verse 15, And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not near a woman. Well, what does that mean, for goodness sake? Well, spiritually speaking, we remember that the the 144,000 who had the name of Jesus and the name of the Father in their forehead, it says that they were not defiled with women, and that was in Revelation 14 and 4, 144. They were not defiled with women because these women throughout the Scripture were depicted as different sects of God's people. And um, all through the Scriptures, that is a, a proven fact. So let me read on. Come not near a woman. Separate yourself from these denominations, these sects, these divisions of God's people. You know, separate. Do you remember what Jesus said? You know, they shall be one flock and one shepherd. And basically, when Jesus came, he separated his people. He called, he went into the sheepfold, he called his own by name, he called them out, they followed him, and they became one flock, one shepherd. But that's not what they were before. They were members of the different sects of Judaism. And they came out of those to follow Jesus and become one with each other and one with him. And now, once again, God is calling people to come out from among them and be separate. Okay. Some of you don't like that, but I'm sorry. But that's what the Word says. Let me read on. And it came to pass on the third day when it was morning. So now we're talking about the morning of the third day, which is where we are now. The morning of the third thousand-year day uh, since the coming of Christ, right? Uh, And there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and um, a voice of a trumpet exceedingly loud. And all the people that were in the camp trembled. Notice the people in the camp trembled. They, You know why? You know, if your heart condemns you not, you have boldness towards God. You know, people know there's something wrong with what they're doing. Their conscience is defiled with uh, a religion that is not Christianity, even though they might call it that. And they're trembling, and they don't really know what's going to happen in these coming days. They've got no confidence in God, because they're not really close to God, you see. But the closer you get to God, the more sanctified you are, and the more bold you are, and the less fear you have, and all these things. But the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. See, Once again, they had to come out of the camp to meet God. Very interesting. So, if we go back over here, let's look at this this heifer again here um, that came without the camp. That's that's Jesus. He led us. If we're going to follow him according to Hebrews 13, we too will come without the camp. We will be separate from those who are lukewarm, uh, defiled, uh, leavened, uh, so on and so forth. And uh, Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood towards the front of the tent of the meeting seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight. Her skin, her flesh, her blood, her dung shall shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. So we're making a bunch of ashes here. See? And uh, the one is Christ, for instance, that um, his life, his crucified life, 
is is represented by these ashes. You know what ashes do too is they're pure, aren't they? Ashes are pure. Okay. Verse uh, seven. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and he shall bathe uh, his flesh in water and afterwards he shall come into the camp and the priest shall be unclean until even. And he that burneth uh, her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until the evening. And here's the verse I want you to look at closely. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water for impurity. It is a sin offering. So this is the water of the impurity. What does the water represent anyway? Well, it represents the Word of God, right? And, you know, Jesus was the Word of God. And uh, Jesus also took up his cross and told us that we couldn't be disciples unless we took up our cross. You know, this water represents a crucified life, a crucified Lord, a sacrifice, a sacrificial life, you see. The water for impurity was made with these ashes. In fact, I'm going to read on down here. Verse 17. And for the unclean, they shall take of the ashes of the burning of the sin offering, which was the heifer, right? And running water, which is actually the word living water. Isn't that interesting? Running water or moving water. In other words, it wasn't stagnant, right? But it was the the Hebrew word there is living water. Okay. So he mixed the ashes of the burnt heifer with this living water. Running water shall be put thereto in a vessel, and a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it upon the tent and upon all the vessels and upon the persons that were there and upon him that touches the bone or the slain uh, or the dead or the grave. So this person who touches the dead. So this um, sprinkling of this uh, running water or living water with the ashes of the red heifer is what purified this person. And if they weren't purified like this, they were cut off from Israel. That's a picture of the sanctified people that are in the church. They, they have to be washed with uh, the water of the word. And let me read something else and then we'll go look at that. And the clean person shall sprinkle upon the unclean on the third day. Notice, notice who can use this water. Only a clean person can use the water to sprinkle it upon an unclean person. Well, who is it that's sprinkling the water? Well, I would say the ministers of the Lord, those who give out the word of the Lord. Okay. In other words, God won't use, can't use an unclean person to sprinkle a clean water. Why is that? I mean, why is he saying that it has to have a clean person to sprinkle uh, the unclean person with the waters of, of purity? Because remember what the waters do and where they come from. You know, you can't, you can take a pure word of God and give it to an impure person and what they preach is not going to be pure. 
It can't be pure. What they sprinkled you with cannot be pure. It's defiled. And so there are many unclean people out there who are not ordained of God, you know, like Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, who are impure, unclean, and the people that they that they submit to them, of course, become unclean too. And that's why God had to separate them, you see. So in the New Testament, you know, we know from Ephesians chapter 5, an example. Let's read um, 25 and 26. It says, Well, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify it. Sanctify it having cleansed it with the washing of the water with the word. There it is. The water's for purity here. The water's to cleanse impurity, you know, which is the washing of the water with the word. And who is the word? Jesus Christ. Was he crucified? Yes. And he was a spotless, blemishless lamb or heifer, you know. And he represented the word himself. He was the word. And when, we, when we're cleansed, we're going to look like him. You know, we'll be cleansed. But we will have a sacrificial life. We will have laid this old flesh on the altar and burnt up the old man. And we're not going to be touching anything unclean. We're going to be separate from it because he's burnt up, right? <laughs> to put it simply. I mean, I don't know how to put it any other way, but simply. <clears throat> but um, so this cleansing with the washing of the water with the word represents the same thing. If you will let the Word of God change you, if you will humble yourself to the Word of God, if you will submit to its correction when, when people point it out to you, when people show you the sword, in other words, right? If you will let that sword put a two-edged sword, right? The Word of God, Hebrews 4.12, is a two-edged sword, like a two-edged sword, right? One for you and one for them, right? <laughs> one edge for you and one for them. So, uh, basically, um, God wants you to submit to this, this uh, putting to death of this old man, this old life, the one who is defiling your life, the one who will not permit you to enter into the kingdom. Right? And, and while we're here, let's go over to Ephesians 5 and read from 1 on down, because this is part of the word that cleanses us right here, right? And let's see what it says here. Be ye therefore imitators of God. In other words, go forth without the camp. Follow Jesus right on out of the camp, right? As beloved children, and walk in love, even as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for an odor of a sweet smell. In other words, burnt up flesh, ashes, right? And he's telling us to imitate God too, walk in the steps of Jesus. Just as he gave up his life for us, we give up our life for others. See? Uh, Verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. In other words, don't let anybody be among you that can be named like that. If the people walk in these in fornication, let them go someplace else. If they're not there to get delivered and, and to submit and to repent, then let them go someplace else. This is not a hangout for the old man, right? We don't want to touch the old man, the old dead man I'm talking about. Okay, So let's read on. Nor filthiness, nor foolishness, nor talking, or jesting, which are not um, uh, befitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this 
you know of a surety that no fornicator or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Uh, let no man deceive you with empty words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. In other words, they're unclean. They haven't been cleansed by the word. They're refusing to be cleansed by, with the waters of purity, right? Be not, therefore, partakers with them. Separate yourself from them. Okay? For you were once darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And have no fellowship. Look, look, no giving and receiving. Don't touch, right? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even reprove them, meaning take up your sword. If somebody's walking in willful sin, take up your sword. Now, um, they need to be cleansed or they need to be separated, one or the other. That's what they're there for. You don't want to defile the body. We have many commands. We're not going to get, them all, get to all of those tonight, obviously. We have many commands that command us to do this in the Scriptures. This is the reason. These types and shadows are telling us the exact same thing as 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which says separate from anybody who's named a brother who walks in willful sin. Separate from them. Same thing we just read. That's sanctification before blessing. God, God can bless a holy body of people. But if these people are in the midst, corrupting and defiling, you'll find that you won't have God's best because they're there. Okay. So if you don't take seriously God's command to sanctify the local body, first of all, you will be a smaller body. If your only thing you're worried about is bringing in tithes, Mr. Preacher, uh, well, you'll have it, but you'll have a defiled body, you see. If you want a holy body, you'll have to take the size it whittles down to, but you preach the heart, word hard and strong, and I can tell you what you're going to do. You're going to run off the people that are there because they just want a social club religion. And they're defiling your body. They're dragging it down. You won't have God's best unless you're interested in sanctifying the local body and sanctifying the individual you know, obviously too, too. So, but rather even reprove them. The things which are done by them in secret is a shame even to speak of. But, but all things, when they are reproved, are made manifest by the light. God bless you, saints. I ran out of time. I ran right up to the quitting time. So we got to go. Talk to you later. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 361623. Though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? 
shining rays of red and white. Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you I find. Mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true. Oh, Jesus. Jesus.